podcast we're going to do this week if you missed it last week we are doing three podcasts a, a week now we're not going to tie ourselves to certain days because we might want to wait a day for a certain reason we might want to go early for a certain reason but just trust we're going to have three podcasts a, a week every week of this college basketball season so if you haven't subscribed yet make sure to go do that over at itunes uh, apple music that's the quickest way uh, to get your hands on the uh, latest episode so uh, since the last time we spoke which i believe was just yesterday morning, so it hasn't been too long. Not a whole lot has happened in the world of college basketball, um, but uh, Duke did uh, beat Utah Valley 99-69. That's the same Utah Valley team that, that Kentucky struggled with the night before, and it doubled as not only the second victory of, of Duke's season, they're now 2-0, and uh, but as the 1,000th win for Mike Krzyzewski, at Duke, he had already achieved 1,000 career wins when you counted his victories at Army, uh, but now he has 1,000 victories as the Duke head coach. Nobody's ever done that before in Division One men's basketball. Norlando, let's just start there. Do you think anybody will ever do that again? I know sometimes when people break a record, we go, we'll never see anything like this. It's sort of just a, a, a natural reaction. We'll never see anything like this again, except I actually think for a variety of reasons that I'll explain after I bring you into this. Um, do you ever think that we'll ever see anything like this again? Because I don't think we'll ever see one man win 1,000 games at the Division One level at the same school again. Well, uh, you know, we had not talked about what we were going to hit on in regard to this specific topic before the podcast, but I was actually going to lob that to you. I, I think we will see this again. Um, I think we will see in men's Division One college basketball a coach within, you know, call it the next, you know, six to seven decades a coach win a thousand games at one school um you're gonna it's 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 gonna be hard to do but all all it's all that's gonna have to happen here is you're gonna have to get a coach that wants to coach into his 70s that gets hired at a school in his uh mid to late 30s and then finds a lot of success it's hard. oh that's it that's it okay never mind then i take it back Hey, it, by the way, this is the <laughs> second time it's happening because Jim Beheim is a thousand wins at Syracuse, even though it's not technically true right now. Not he, has won a, he has existed for a thousand victories at Syracuse. I hear you. That's fair, and I'm glad you pointed that out. Not technically in the record book, but he's done that. Um, but I do. It is. It is a long shot, GP. Um, and it, you know, Beheim joined Syracuse in the late '70s. Shashevsky not uh, long thereafter, after leaving West Point to get to Duke. Uh, it should be noted that Duke was a relatively respected program when Krzyzewski took it over, but it was nowhere near what it is today. I wonder, I wonder if Utah Valley even fielded uh, any sort of uh, any sort of team at the time. They went, dude, They've only been D one like a little over a decade, I think. But I don't even know if they were at like NAIA Division two, II, Division three back then. I don't know if they, they existed when Krzyzewski got that Duke job, uh, but he's the team that. Um, they're the team that uh, Duke beats when he's on the sideline for number 1,000 uh, with Duke. It's It does seem like a long shot, but come on. Uh, forever is a really long time. I think we will see it. I don't know if we'll live to see it, but uh, I, I certainly think it's possible. What I don't have in front of me... When I'm, I'm, not, sure, I'm not sure I'll live to see Mike Krzyzewski's last game as coach of Duke. All right, well, that's really morbid. Um, what I'm not sure of is who is now closest to 
to a thousand that is active at one school. If I had to guess, this is like a just a total shot in the dark. D1 active closest to a thousand at one school. I'm gonna say. Do you do you have any idea? By the way, GP. I'm I, I, I would start to guess. I mean, I would I would want to look at Bob McKillop. McKillop probably, and he and honestly, my guess with McKillop is probably in the five six hundreds. Campy has got to be in the six hundreds with Oakland. He's been there. He might be. Yeah, he's been there since like eighty three or eighty four. So he's way up there. Um, but other than that, that's the thing is like you got to be at a place more more than three decades easily, easily to even flirt with this. So there aren't any candidates that are knocking on the door. Even the guys that have a lot of like Huggins has a ton of wins, but they didn't come just at West Virginia. You got in fact, I would think that he still has more wins at Cincinnati than he has at West Virginia, if I'm not mistaken, because he also has that K-State stint in there as well. So, yeah, it's, it's obviously really hard to pull off, but I think uh, – I think the world will see this happen at least once more. Mark, Mark Few's got over 500 at Gonzaga. But, th- but th- okay, so look, and think about that. Like, he's got over 500. He's not at 600. And Few is going to – he'd have to – he's not going to do this. I mean, he'd, he'd really probably have to coach until he was 80 to hit that mark. Right. Uh, Bob McKillop's got more than 500 at Davidson and more than Mark Few. So, um, McKillop, Few. Uh... Campy? Yeah, let's look at Greg Campy. I don't think he's up quite there yet, but I could be wrong. Let's see. And yeah, he might not be up. I think he might be up. And he's got to be closing in on five. Oh no, no, he's at five eighty three. Yeah, there we go. No, Greg Campy's the dude at Oakland. Yes. Um, I was, th- I was thinking Jay Wright. Where's Jay Wright? I'm gonna guess. This is a total guess. I'm gonna say Jay Wright. Went from Hofstra to Villanova in 2001, is my guess. I couldn't tell you exactly, but I think you got to Nova. No, you're right. In 01, okay. Um, I'm going to say Jay Wright sitting at Nova alone, uh, 481. That's a guess. It was 386 coming into this season. Oh, my at, gosh. That's at, insane that it's only 386. Yeah, he's been underachieving for years. Yeah. You've <laughs> always said. I mean, I've always tried to say, you know, I just don't think that Jay Wright wins enough at uh, Villanova. You know, he got 33 wins in 2015, 35 at a national title in 2016, 32 last year. But come on, man, get it going. The only coach to ever win four consecutive Big East uh, regular season championships is Jay Wright, by the way. Should, should, should be noted. Yeah, you know, you're going to say it. Different Big East. Different Big East. Uh, obviously not the same, but. Record's a record, so there we go. Here's what I would say, because I don't think we should play trivia for the entire podcast about let's guess. I I just don't know that in this era of men making so much money, which inherently brings pressure, uh, that makes it difficult to survive at a school, um, when, you know, in the the world of social media, where, uh, you know, uh, like a, a... you know, like a, a, an internet mob, I guess is what people say, can really have an effect on, on you. I, I just think it's very difficult trying to coach as long at one school. Like the type of school you've got to be at to stack a thousand wins is like, it's got to be an awesome school. You know, like Duke. I mean, it's like Duke, Kentucky, Kansas. It's got to be one where you get it at the top of the game and then you keep it there forever. The way Kay's been able to get Duke to the top of the game and then keep it there forever. And those type of jobs are also pressure packed. And so it's very difficult to keep those jobs for as long as you need to keep them 
to get to a thousand. Like you can't just get the the Ole Miss job and go try to win a thousand games because you can't win a thousand games because you can't win enough at Ole Miss. Like you've got to go get one of the big boy jobs. And I don't. I mean, I just don't know that you can in in this era you can last that long. Like, like when you and I were kids, there was in most cities one person who could voice a public opinion that mattered about a, a coach. You know, criticize somebody. It was like the local columnist. Like that guy, like that guy's voice mattered and that guy could tell you what to think about your coach or what not to think. Now everybody is a columnist. I mean, everybody's got a Facebook page. Everybody's on Twitter. No, everybody's sharing opinions about you nonstop. And if social media can, I'm not trying to get political here, but can actually like influence a presidential election, it can influence what people think about basketball coaches or football coaches or anything. And I just think when you combine all of that, like good long lasting anywhere as long as Kay's been at Duke and good luck trying to like replicate what it is he's done at Duke. Keep in mind, he's the GOAT of college basketball um, he's coaching at an advanced age, and he just got there yesterday. So, I mean, I just think it's, it's going to be very, very difficult. Yeah. No, it is. Uh, what's going to have to happen for it to happen is it's going to have to be a top 15 program that lands, you know, uh, uh, just a, a, a prominently rising coach in his 30s, and then that's the destination job, and then it, there just aren't any slip-ups. I do want to note, by the way, I wrote when Krzyzewski won his 1,000th game period, which happened in New York. Uh, was it at the Champions Classic GP? You were yep, there. Yeah, I, I was there. It was at the Champions because that was the whole thing, like Knight was there and all that. I wrote a story when that happened uh, that after year three, it, he was like, you know, believing that he was going to get fired. And, and I think he's even spoken on the record about this before, like kind of thinking like maybe I'm just not going to be cut out for this Duke job. But the AD then, Tom Butters, Stuck with them, and then soon thereafter, Dawkins and Billis and all these guys came in, and Shashevsky landed his first legitimately like big time, big time recruiting class. The rest is history. So he survived that. Like there could be a situation where if you took Shashevsky's circumstances then and there and plopped them in the year 2017, right. that he doesn't make it to that fourth year. That's but exactly different that's different but, culture. Yeah, they hung onto him. And the program has changed forever. But that's exactly my point. I think in this era, that guy doesn't survive. Yeah. No, I, it's, to- it's totally fair. Uh, um, let's talk about the game a little bit. Not necessarily Duke-Utah Valley, but we now have two games of Marvin Bagley. And he so far has been just as awesome as we had spent all summer and the preseason telling people he was going to be. You know, sometimes there's a – and we've talked about this a lot over the years. Sometimes there's a, a, a difference between being a great prospect and a great player. Like, there, there are guys who are great NBA prospects, but they're not necessarily great college basketball players, especially not, like, in week one. But I always thought, because you and I just saw him dominate people at Peach Jam, it was only a few, it was only a few months ago. And so I always thought, now, this isn't just a great prospect. This is somebody who's going to be a great player. He's going to be impactful from day one. He's literally the only reason we moved Duke to number one in the preseason top 25 and one. We didn't have them there, you know, three weeks before uh, Marvin Bagley enrolled. Like, the, the, the enrollment of Marvin Bagley is what pushed Duke to the top of the rankings. And so far, he has been awesome. He got 25 and 10 in the opener, came, came back next night, got 24 and 10. Uh, against Utah Valley, so he's now averaging, don't even need a calculator for this, 24.5 points and 10 rebounds, two double-doubles through two games. He's just been spectacular. He has. Uh, I feel we'll talk about him plenty after. We're going to preview the Champions Classic later in this podcast. 
But post-Champions Classic, regardless of what he does, um, I, we're going to have a ton to talk about from that night in general. Uh, but, yeah, so he's he's looks fantastic against far inferior competition, but it's, it's almost like it was the perfect appetizer for him because now that team and Bagley specifically head into Champions Classic with, I, I think, as much confidence as they could possibly ask for at this point. And it, there, I know I mentioned this on the other podcast, so I'll be really quick with this, but it, it, it easily could have been a situation where he just eased into this, was just okay, you know, maybe shot 46% from the field in both games and was averaging simply 12.5 and, and 7, which would have been totally fine, and no one would have been criticizing him or anything. But instead, he has just absolutely lived up to his hype, again, fully knowing the competition that Duke was playing. Uh, but with that, all that said, now that, that they prepare to go into the champions, um, there will be plenty expected of him, uh, but we'll see how he does when the when the competition gets just boosted way, way, way up because he's going up against a legitimate front court. Uh, like you said, we will preview the Champions Classic a little later on, but first, uh, one of the things that has happened since last time we spoke was Kentucky played again. They, of course, opened... Um, the regular season on Friday night with that same Utah Valley team, and they struggled with them. They were down early, down in the second half, ended up winning, I believe, by 10 points. Uh, This afternoon, Sunday afternoon, they played Vermont, and I had, I believe on this podcast yesterday, said I won't be surprised if they struggle with Vermont. I mean, Vermont's a 29-win team that brought back its top four scores, you know, that played in the NCAA tournament last year. I mean, they can't match them player for player in terms of talent, but you take a bunch of experienced guys who have won a whole lot at the collegiate level and put them against five freshmen to, you know, this early in a season, it can, it can be a struggle. And so I was not surprised, and I know you watched it because I saw you tweeting about it, that it, it literally came down to the final seconds. You know, uh, Utah Valley had a multiple three-point shots in the final 10 seconds to, to maybe send it to overtime. They... They missed one. I think the, the second one got maybe tipped because uh, it came up way short. Uh, but either way, Kentucky had to escape, survive with a 73-69 victory. And so I thought this was interesting. They have, in their two games, been favored by, let me make sure I've got the numbers correct, been favored by an average of 16 points. And they've won those games by only an average of 6.5 points. So they are grossly underperforming what it is odds makers have placed upon them through their first two games. But more than that, for basketball purposes, they just look like you know a team completely reliant on freshmen trying to play Division I basketball for the first time. And like we've talked about a whole, whole bunch, that's not easy. When you, when you add three lottery pick freshmen to three sophomores or, or, or two sophomores and a junior who are also rotation players, now you're ready to be great right from the start. But when you trot out five, you know, five-star prospects, none of whom are a guaranteed lottery pick, and they're all freshmen, and you say, hey, it's time to go play, it's a li- like, there's a learning curve involved there, and clearly Kentucky's going through that right now. Yeah, if this was on a neutral, I'm pretty confident Vermont would have won this game, as they should, because they are the better team right now than Kentucky. Kentucky has a lot more talent, has a lot more length, has better rebounding. Uh, but with the way Vermont moves the ball, they ran a great play at the end of the game. And actually, it's the one quasi-veteran that Kentucky has on the team, Wendy Gabriel, who recovered, kind of saw it as it was as it was playing, got a hand up and prevented Vermont from hitting that uh, game-winning tie to send it to, to overtime. Uh, but yeah, this is what I expected from Kentucky overall. I thought they'd go two and zero, but have uh, just immediate growing pains because 
they just listen. They are they are so big and so long, but they don't have three point shooting at this point. They don't have better on the team. I wrote about this extensively about a week and a half ago on the site, uh, just detailing just the bumps that are going to be coming and expected. So I'm interested to see what Kentucky does here on Tuesday. As for Vermont, just a quick note on them. Uh, this is going to be you know shout out to Trey Anastasio, shout out to Grace Potter, shout out to South Burlington High School where I attended all of uh, a five minute drive from UVM's campus there, and uh, that is a team that I think if it plays the way that it played against Kentucky, or even a little bit better, is going to have another really, really, really good shot at a 28-29 win season. And if it can knock off a couple of teams in non-conference play that are above it in sort of overall standing, league-wise, power conference teams, it's probably going to have a good shot at sneaking in even as like a 12 or an 11. If it's that good again, has that many wins and has some non-conference scalps to point to, this is a this is a team that I think is a, is you know among a handful uh, of really legitimate Cinderella candidates. So for Kentucky, it is a whoosh. We got the win, uh, and thank goodness we got the win because we had to just rely on our home court, uh, the fact that we had some size, got some key buckets, and and basically we're able to capitalize on the offensive rebounding, uh, which is big. But I can promise you, if Kentucky plays like that again on Tuesday, uh, it will not win. Buying tickets to sports and concerts can be a complicated process, but there's no uh, now there's a better, simpler way to do it, and that's with, of course, SeatGeek. SeatGeek is the smartest, easiest way to get tickets to live events. And that's what I've learned over the years. Think to SeatGeek's seamless mobile experience that allows you to buy and sell tickets in just two taps. That's all it takes, two taps. SeatGeek helps you find the best seats and the best prices, fully guaranteed to get you closer to the action for a great value when you go to see your favorite team or artist or band in person. I've got that SeatGeek app on my phone. You need to get it on your phone. So go download it in the App Store. And then remember this. There's a promo code, CollegeBB. That's CollegeBB. And if you use that, you're going to get $20 off uh, your first SeatGeek purchase. $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. That's to a basketball game, to a football game, to a concert, whatever. College BB, that's the promo code you use, and when you download that SeatGeek app and you use it for the first time, your first purchase, you're going to get $20 off uh, with the promo code College BB. So make sure to do that. Thanks to SeatGeek for being a part of the Kai on College Basketball Podcast. At SeatGeek, millions of tickets in one place. Let's look ahead a little bit because everybody is focused on Tuesday's Champions Classic, including myself. I'm flying to Chicago first thing in the morning. Uh, But on Monday, uh, we've got two pretty good games. Uh, One is between two teams I have ranked in the top 25 and one, Minnesota at Providence. And the second one, of course, uh, a Charleston team that's picked to win its league against a Wichita State team that I don't think technically is picked to win the AAC because that's Cincinnati, but it's the team I picked to win the AAC. Uh, So you got Uh, two possible conference champions in that second one. Let's take them in order. Uh, Minnesota at Providence. Is Rick Pitino going to be able to to steal one at his dad's old stomping grounds? Uh, Good point. Uh, I hadn't put that together, but yes. uh, Rick Pitino is a former Providence coach that was in the Final Four in 87, I believe. Uh, I don't think it's going to happen now. Uh, Jordan Murphy, by the way, had a tremendous... Woo! 35 and 15? Yeah, man. He was awesome. Granted, it was USC Upstate. Um, This is just, you know... uh, a fairly solid non-conference true road game. Uh, credit to Richard Pertino for giving his team this kind of shot. Because you know what? If you get a win like this, it has such a, a positive benefit to your resume overall. Uh, we are both in the same boat here. We believe Minnesota should be a firm, easy 
in for the NCAA tournament down the road. Like we're talking anywhere from a four to a seven seed, I think, for the Gophers. You get a win like this, it means a lot. However, if you lose it, but you lose it competitively, who cares? Also remember, right. the selection committee is going to be paying attention to opponents and how you play on the road, all that stuff. So keep that in mind. I do like Providence here at home. I think uh, I know you've got them in your top twenty-five and one. So we're pretty close overall in, in terms of how we view Providence. Um, I think maybe some people are sell are not necessarily selling the team, but not as high as maybe they should be. Uh, Kyron Cartwright, I'm a big time believer in at point guard, and they have Makai Ashton Langford's a really solid freshman, uh, someone to know. Rodney Bullock's back. I think they're going to have enough offense. I think it'll be a pretty fun game, by the way. Um, but I'll, I'll take Providence there, and then just a quick note on uh, on Wichita Charleston before I shoot it back over to you. You know, Charleston has a really experienced, talented, well-oiled starting five. Joe Chile's the name to know. He's a senior guard. Um, he, he's a pretty capable shooter overall. He's they're probably their best player. Uh, but what's interesting with Charleston is they've got a coach who I fully expect to get a – I think Charleston's going to win the CAA, get to the tournament, and then Earl Grant's going to get a solid job after this year, I would expect. But they still have a – they're built for another year, basically. So they're not as good this year as Wichita State was last year, but they're almost like Wichita State light. They'll lose Chile after the season, but they've got a lot of other pieces coming back. So this could be a pretty strong era uh, for Cougars basketball overall. It, it is a tough task, uh, particularly because Wichita State has Landry Shamit back in the lineup. This is a really – I understand this is a college basketball, an avid fan that is going to watch this game. It's not going to bring a lot of just casual mainstream people in. I understand that. But having these kind of games at least makes it a little more interesting. It's better than Wichita State playing a bottom-rung SOCON team or anything like that. You get the preseason favorite in the CAA going against a really, really, really good team, Wichita State right now currently sits at number two in Ken Palm, which is not like – he's still using stuff from last season. The, the Ken Palm rankings don't really lock into place fully until mid-December. But regardless, I'm very intrigued just to see how Wichita State handles – um, Charleston, because they do get the benefit of getting that game on their home floor. On one hand, um, they do not have Marcus McDuffie, so that's a thing. On the other hand, they looked awesome in the opener on Friday night. Now, uh, you know, who were they playing? It was nothing. They were playing UMKC, so whatever. But uh, still, they looked sharp. I think this is the most important thing. Landry Sham, it didn't look like somebody who missed the entire preseason. Mm-hmm. I mean, he looked, yep. he, I mean, he was, he was getting to the rim, making shots. He looked good. Um, so uh, I give Charleston a puncher's chance because that's a quality basketball team. But do you know how many times off the top of your head uh, Wichita State has lost inside Coke Arena the past four seasons? I'll say once. Two, two times. That's it. Two times. Do you remember who they were? You won't. I'm doing trivia again. I'm sorry. Uh, no, I love, first of all, trivia is awesome because the listeners can play along at home on the subway in their car or whatever. So two times Wichita State has lost at home. Uh, I'm going to say one was Illinois State. Mm, I do not believe so. One was Oklahoma State last year, early in December. And then, because remember, that was like they were still trying to figure out how to play without Fred Van Vliet and Ron Baker. So they lose to to Oklahoma State early last year at home. And then they lost to Northern Iowa on February 13th, 2016 at home. They had zero home losses in 2015, zero home losses in 2014 so just two home losses in the past four seasons so um it's not easy to go into that building and win somewhat because the fan base is awesome you know they fill that place up every night and uh most notably because greg marshall's the coach and he's got a 
you know, one of the very best basketball programs in the entire country, and it's been that way for, for several years now. Let's look ahead to the Champions Classic. Um, it is number one versus number two uh, in, the, in the early game, uh, which is Duke against Michigan State. And then the nightcap, that'll be number four against number five, that is Kansas against Kentucky. Let's focus on Duke-Michigan State first. Um, I don't know how much they're going to be guarding each other, but just, you know, give me a game with Mark... Just give me a game with Mar- Marvin Bagley and Miles Bridges on the court together, and I'm I'm there for that. It should be fun. Yeah, uh, and why, well, we might as well pick these. Um, I, I will take Michigan State to win this game. Uh, I think that they are the better team at this point. Uh, a really solid front court. Bridges uh, showed a lot of promise early. Trust them more in the backcourt on the whole than Duke at this point. Um, will do my best not to, to overreact to the results either way, even if Duke comes out and, and just beats them down by 22 points or anything like that. I'll, I'll take I'll take the Spartans. Um, you know, this is just a great night for college basketball in general. It's what the season opener should be, and in fact, what it will be come 2018. Just get these mainstream powerhouse blue blood programs opening up against each other, and, and yeah, it's one two versus four five. I, it's never been uh, the champions has never had one two three four in the rankings play, but I think this is the highest ranking we've ever seen. It's a fantastic look, and there's never really a true undercard because of the nature of the programs. Even if like occasion, occasionally, like one year Michigan State was not expected to be quite as good, um, even then there's there's always intrigue with both games. Uh, definitely want to see how Bagley does overall. I'm interested to see basically how Trayvon Duvall. Uh, how much he plays, uh, how much you know the ball is in his hands, and how he handles uh, Michigan State's backcourt. I'll take the Spartans. What about you? I'm going to go Duke. I mean, I have Duke ranked number one, and if I didn't think Duke were the best team in the country, I, I shouldn't have them there, and if and I, therefore I shouldn't be picking against them on a neutral court, right? So I'll, I'll go Duke uh, over Michigan State, but like it's a coin flip game. Um, but, man, I, I can't wait to, to be in the United Center on Tuesday night. Think about this. How often do you get to watch a doubleheader? You know, two basketball games back to back, same building, where I mean, you got four active Hall of Famers. Mm-hmm. I mean, because Bill Self got was inducted uh, this this off season. So I mean, be yeah, I mean, it, it might really be the first time this has ever happened where you had a doubleheader in the regular season featuring four active Naismith Memorial Hall of Famers, and then also you've got the possible number one overall pick in the NBA draft, Marvin Bagley, and the favorite for National Player of the Year, Miles Bridges. Like, all in the same building on the same night. Like, that's that's as good. Like, four Hall of Fame coaches, number one pick in the draft, leading candidate for National Player of the Year. I mean, that's, that's I mean, if it's not sold out, I don't know why it's not. I'm sure it is, by the way. And this, this event always gives us something each year because in many years, uh, Kentucky has – uh, and Kentucky's freshman class, don't, it's a top two ranked class, don't get me wrong. But uh, I think there's a little uh, bit less here than in previous years when it's been the big debut of Kentucky's freshman. Because normally it's it's the combination of them having at least one uh, fairly solid veteran involved on top of, in many instances, a, a point guard who's projected to be a, a top 15 pick and a one-and-done type. So in the absence of that, Kentucky's still plenty watchable, but you have other aspects of this that are, that are really entertaining. With Kentucky-Kansas... Um, very, very different lineups here. Okay, so Kansas is is guard oriented, and then it's got this just freaking beast down low, and that's a Buki. And I want to see how he handles going up against Kentucky's length, and then who's 
who's assigned to him. I mean, you would think it's probably going to be Nick Richards, but uh, and Nick Richards is a, is a big dude, but he is going to be a matched up against uh, a player in which he has never had to face before at this kind of level, obviously. So Kansas you probably go outside in. Kentucky can't. They they could hit a hot streak, but I'm not anticipating Calipari game planning to say, okay, we're gonna we're gonna have to trade perimeter shots with Kansas if we want to win this game. I don't think that's what's gonna happen. They can have two different kind of games. I think Kentucky will actually try and slow this game down as much as it possibly can. I think Kansas is gonna win by double digits. I think they've got a lot more experience, much better playing the backcourt, more reliable playing the backcourt at this point. Devontae Graham could see him having something close to the kind of game Frank Mason had a year ago in the Champions Classic when he was terrific overall. So give me the Jayhawks to win comfortably. Um, and I just want to I want to see how Malik Newman also factors in here and how much of a part of the offense he is overall because he's kind of having a kind of a soft entry so far at this point through one game for Kansas. You and I are on the same page here. I, th- I think Kansas is going to handle him pretty easily. I mean, let, let me rephrase, uh, or at least add this. When you are as talented as Kentucky is talented, and you're exactly right, they are talented. It was a number two overall recruiting class in the country, but it's not like some of these other number two recruiting classes. Like, there's not a Malik Monk on this team, I don't believe. There's not a De'Aaron Fox on this team, I don't believe. Not sure there's a Bam Adebayo on this I team. I agree. Yeah. All three. Right. Agree. Right. So, like, this is a, it's a heralded class. But I, I, I've said it earlier on this podcast. I said it on the previous podcast. Is there a Kentucky always has a guaranteed lottery pick? You know, like like there was no way De'Aaron Fox wasn't going to be a lottery pick last year, or or Malik Monk. They both obviously were. Um, right now, Kentucky doesn't have a guaranteed lottery pick. Diallo could be that. Kevin Knox could be that. But guaranteed, they're not guaranteed right now. So this is an immensely talented Kentucky team, but not. I don't think as talented as some of the other Kentucky teams. And I talked about this with Kyle Tucker, who covers Kentucky, of course, on his podcast. Um, Like long-term, and by long-term with Kentucky, it just means like next year, it could be a blessing for them. Because some of these guys, they ain't turning pro. You know, they're not going to be first-round picks, or they're not going to be guaranteed lottery picks. So you, you take this freshman class and just make three of them or four of them sophomores, and then you add whatever it is John's going to add, you know, from, from the class of 2018, and they're already off to a great start there. Now that's the type of team, you know, that's the type of team that looks more like the 2015 team. You had the Harrison Twins as sophomores, Willie Colley-Stein as a junior, and then you bring in that, that heralded freshman class and let's go. I think next year's Kentucky team could be closer to that than maybe they've been since then. Uh, but this team is just so young, and they're obviously still trying to figure things out. You know, the the um, Utah Valley game showed that. The Vermont game showed that. And, you know, when you look at Kansas' his roster, Devontae Graham's a senior. LeGerald Vick's a junior. Uh, Svi Mikhailuk is a senior. Malik Newman's a redshirt sophomore, so like three years removed from high school. Um I know Azabuki didn't play much last year, but he's still, you know, he's been at Kansas. It's now it's his second year. Um, they're going to have Billy Preston, who missed the season opener because of, I think, a curfew is what they call it. Does yeah. Bill, when did Bill start suspending people for curfews, by the way? Like, I remember uh, 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 Josh Jackson, like, kicked in a car last year, didn't get suspended. <laughs> <laughs> so, so now we're suspending people for curfews? Like, what happened there? 
great point. Yeah. <laughs> no. hey, Billy, hey, Billy Busta, go kick a girl's car. <laughs> Instead of like be, be uh, 11 minutes late Control for... At like 1.15, <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. So like, whatever. I'm not here to question them, but I did... That jumped off the page to me. Like, oh, really? Kansas is, sur- is suspending dudes for missing curfew now, but not for kicking in a woman's car outside of a bar. But whatever. I'm not here to be in charge of that program. I'll let Bill and those guys do that. But I just think they're... They're similarly talented, if not more talented, and and definitely older and more experienced. They've been through it. Um, I think Kansas and Kentucky can be comparable teams in February or March. I don't think they're comparable teams right now. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, but intriguing nonetheless, and uh, looking forward to it. And then yeah, we'll uh, we'll hit up that podcast. I mean, I guess we'll that'll be a pretty late night, so probably. Wednesday. We'll have a podcast for you on Wednesday, regardless to recap. Right. Odds are I will be well. Not odds are. I'm definitely at least the book. The flight's booked. I'm flying home Wednesday morning. I don't believe I even get back in home until late afternoon, and that pushes me like right up against the radio show. So it might have to be Wednesday night before we talk again, or if um, if my flight is is later than I think it is right now, maybe Wednesday morning. But I would assume Wednesday night will be the next time we will record an Ion college basketball podcast but we'll get one at the latest let's just go ahead and book guarantee this at the latest it will be uh, Wednesday evening but uh, to make sure you, you get it just as soon as you can get it go subscribe on iTunes Apple Music shouts to Devin Downey shouts to Chester South Carolina shouts to Terry MF and Teagle uh, we're going to talk to you again very very soon enjoy the next couple days of basketball till, till we're back here on Wednesday at some point take care